0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class.
1: And hello to anyone who's listening asynchronously via the Temple Beth Am podcast. Great to be back studying with you. Okay, I should have a book. Uh, We are in the middle of a Rashi. We stopped in the middle of a Rashi the last time we were here. I know last week... um, where are you in your, in your are you in still in Lech Lecha? Where are you? Noah. Noah. okay. Not yet in Lech Lecha. So you were in Noach last week, but in terms of our stuff, we're in the middle of the Rashi uh, on chapter seven of the book of Shemot, verse 19, okay? Talking about the different bodies of water. Hold on, Elon's joining. Um, talking about the different bodies of water that... God says, will be filled with blood. We're still in the predictive mode. It hasn't happened yet. We're saying, work it, work it over, Rachel. what's going to happen? Uh, as is our wont, let's read the verse to remind us of the full verse, and then we'll jump into the middle of the Rashi. I don't remember who was reading the Rashi that time, but we'll, we'll assign someone else. Okay, verse 19, chapter 7. Vayomer Adonai al God said to Moshe, Amor el-Aharon, speak to Aaron. Take your staff, singular you. So meaning this is what Moses should say to Aaron. Extend your hand on the waters. Mayim is a plural sounding word, but it has its own. um, So when it's it's put into uh, into smichut, it gets that yud at the end. So the waters of Egypt al tehem on their Naharot, which we'll remind ourselves in a second what Rashi said about them. Al-Yorahem, on their yores. Again, okay, I'm going to untranslate it. Al-Agmehem, on their Agams, on their interesting Israeli artists with presentations in Tel Aviv. Anyone? al kol mikveh mehem, and in all, upon all the gatherings of their water. Right? We discussed that the word mikveh is really the original Biblical word for the notion of a gathering of water that became oceans and seas and things like that which is why to this day the the best mikveh is the ocean itself the the yihidam there will be blood daniel day lewis and blood will be on all of the land land of egypt Uva and even on wood i added in the even uh, and on stones okay so we dealt with a shot of that and rashi is going to get to the more uh some of those questions um but we had gotten through the Rashi that described, let me feeling a little out of sorts here, that had described um, the Nahar as the Naharot Hamoshim rivers that flow.
2: Can I just correct your translation?
1: Please. It's
2: not there will be blood, it's they will become blood. Because it's plural. And they will become blood.
1: Right, All, correct. All of the waters that have been mentioned will be blood. Terrific. Thank you. I appreciate that. Right? They will, so it's not even that they will be filled with, but that they will be blood. Very good. Okay. Um, so Rashi, uh, uh, first we discussed how, why it's significant that Aaron is being asked to do this plague, because you don't fight, you don't strike the Nile that saved you. The Nahar was described as Naharot uh, HaMoshchot, like our sense of a river, so flowing water. And we were halfway through the Rashi comment on Yeorehem. Where we had gotten to was... Um, what's the difference between a nahar and a yor? So the first Rashi says Haim Brechot unigarim, fools and nigarim. Did we look at the Jasho and Nagar? I don't remember. Because it's a kind of an interesting Hebrew word. I want to show that to you. Um, look on the page. So Nun Gimel Resh is an interesting word. Uh, most you know modern non-Hebrew speaking Jews learned that root from camp, Nagar root is woodworking. Um, if you see the first definition of Nagar, well, actually the second definition of Nagar is to scrape or to saw, which is why Nagar root is woodworking. But the first is to carry along or to um, uh, to roll. And it apparently is connected to garar, which means to, um, to drag, right? So uh, if you look in the next entry, so then ni, the, the nifal of nigar is similar to mashach, and it means to be conducted in gutters, to be stored up. So when Rashi says here that I, that, the, that whereas a nahar is a, its own flowing river, a yor, are brechot and nigar, nigarim, pools and um, irrigation, irrigation canals, right? Ha'asuyot bidei that are made by human hands, Misvat hanahar right? To bring the water from the edge of the actual free-flowing river to the fields. That's where we ended. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any kind of questions on that little wrap-up before we jump in? Okay. Uh, Rebecca, would you like to read um, the next word is V'hanilus. The meet our
0: theme.
1: Okay, translate that.
0: And the waters of the Nile were increased. And it would rise by way of the streams and would water the fields.
1: Okay, so Rashi's saying two things, even though it only looks like he's saying one thing. He's telling us something about the Nile. Uh, too bad Toba isn't here to add some more layers to this. By the way, the, the word Nilus is the Hebrew word for Nile. It's telling us that what what is true about the Nile's uh, waters, that they would meet barech. It's a great word that Rashi is choosing, because we normally would understand lihit barech uh, means to be blessed, right? etc. But actually, in core biblical Hebrew, the root bet reish haf, or actually, in Rashi's understanding of the word, it doesn't just mean to be blessed; it means to be doubled, to be increased, to over, to overflow, right? So the waters of the Nile be, um, overflow, become very abundant, and oled derech and and it rises by means of these man-made irrigation canals, and in that way, mashke hasadot, it, it it irrigates the fields. What's the second thing that Rashi is saying? Even though it doesn't, it's not obvious that he's saying. Anyone know? Or why is he saying this this here? By what shmita shmita? I thought I don't think it's a shmita comment, Diane.
0: It's not only the waters that are going to be um, blood, but also all the fields.
1: Uh Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. That if 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 the if the water if the blood is also going in the urine that are getting to the fields, then it's going to enter into the fields. Good. What, what else? By what name is the Nile known in biblical Hebrew? Yor, right? So Rashi's Rashi's assuming that we know, remember that. And they're saying, and dear reader, if you're wondering why I've translated Ye'orehem as a general word for irrigation canals, I'm now explaining why the Nile is called that because it's basically the biblical word for the Nile is the source of all the irrigation that takes place in Egypt because that's actually how the Nile operates, right? Um, and I wanted to show you, Rashi says something similar to this back in a different verse in Breishit. Um, Let me share the screen. Okay, so this is way back um, in, the, in the last few chapters of the uh, last 10 chapters of Brashit. And if you could get a context, this is the, the second verse of Parshat Miketz, right? By he, so if you look on the left side, after two years, after the scene at the end of the previous parsha, which had the uh, the cupbearer story. <speaking in Hebrew> Pharaoh dreamt a dream, the Omed Ha'Al he was standing on the Yor. Here it's not the Nilus, it's the the Yor, which we now understand through Rashi as the main source of irrigation of Egypt by which the natural waters of the, of the Nile would find its way to the fields through man-made canals. Right? That's basically what the word yor means here. And on the second, um, Verse: Vehine min hayor olot sheva parot. Right, from the or seven cows came up, etc. Look at Rashi says the word al hayor. Kol shaar naharot enam mm-hmm. kruim yorim chutz minilus. All other natural rivers, rivers that come from God, that come from nature itself, are not called yorim, except for the Nile. Right, they're called uh, rivers. Right, they're not called yors. Mipnei kolha haaretz asuyim because the entire land is kind of rendered into channels of these canals, yorim yorim, through human work, venilus and the Nile, ole ascends from within them, umashkeotam, and sends water through them, irrigates them, lefi she'en shamim yordim b'zmitzvayim, because rain is not abundant in Egypt, tadir, and often, kishaar aretzod. So Rashi back there said, when we say Al or we don't just mean the canal, we mean the river in Egypt that becomes coterminous with the canals that extend from it. Okay. So he says it over there. Um, and he said it in our verse as well. Okay. Um how are we doing so far? Good. Okay, so let's keep going. Was, it, let's see, was there anything else I wanted to show on this? Uh no. Looked no. at that. Um, yeah, Barry.
2: Geologically, you are going to envision the the source of the Nile being higher out of it, the Nile flows out down, the downward direction. So all the canals that are attached to it, it would also be flowing down from that. Is that true? Well, it, it, the water doesn't flow up.
1: <laughs> water doesn't flow up, but but people throughout history have found a way to. Not just irrigate places that are downhill from water sources. I don't know how, um, but I know it's happened. I mean, I know how it's done in modern times. I don't know how it's done in ancient times.
2: There, by like, hand. Yeah. yeah. What they did was to um, make canals that would flow also in the going that direction.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, let's continue with the Rashi because we have one more collection of water that Rashi is going to comment on. Uh, Agmehem, Rebecca.
0: Agmehem, there. cool. Okay. would we'll look at that in a second um, so a gathering of
1: waters that do not gush a socialist collective gathering of waters <laughs>
0: Um, that do not gush and do not flow. Uh, they, they stay in place, in one place, and it is called in old French, stone
1: Right. It, what would we call this in English?
0: Is that a lake or a pond?
1: Yeah, a pond? lake or a pond or a reservoir, right? Mm-hmm. right look, look at the... Uh... This is um, Otsar Lazay Rashi. We've looked at this before. This is a, a comprehensive collection it's on the screen of all the old French words that Rashi uses in every one of his comments in the Torah and in the Talmud. And this is entry number yes. 3074, uh, seventh chapter, Shemot, verse 19, on the word Agmehem. He spells it Ailef Yud Shin Tet Nun Kuf. According to Otsar Lazay Rashi, it's the French word Eston. Anyone ever heard that word? I I don't know enough French to know that.
3: Eton is a pond.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How is it spelled How is it spelled in modern French? Eton. Ha-
3: with you don't say it.
1: So there's like an accent that a go that takes away the s. All right. So I think
3: it's related to the
2: word
1: tank. Oh, that's fascinating. A collect a collection of of liquid, fascinating.
0: Yeah. Let's
1: see, it may be related to sponge to some flow. Uh don't know, but that's but that's that's those connections are really interesting. Thank you. So that's what Rashi says. Eston. Okay, so a lake pond reservoir. So if we go back and consider the whole verse, we've got really a reference to all the ways in which water would appear in the ancient world, right? You have the original flows of water, the Nahar, you have which according to Rashi refers to the Nile and all of its not natural tributaries, but canal tributaries and the standing uh, water that that um, that nothing flows from it, but it collects water. And then uh, Rashi is quiet on the phrase v'chol mikveh Hamayim, um, all of the, uh, the collections of water um, etc. Um, okay, anything else I before we look at the next Rashi? Okay, the next Rashi, uh, I th- sometimes we do this in backwards order, but I want to kind of give you the question before we read the Rashi. I'm not sure we raised this when we read the verse two weeks ago, that the phrase Behol Eretz Mitzrayim, you could read as a redundancy, right? Because we seem to have already referenced something comprehensive, that we've got, first, we already had al Mitraim, the waters of Egypt. And then we had the subcategories of the Nahars and the Ores and the Agams. And then we had the comprehensive Kol Mikveh Mikveh, all gatherings of water. And then, all, and then all of a sudden we have Bechol Eretz Bintrach, right? Throughout the land of Egypt. So since it's, you could read that phrase as a redundancy, even a redundancy on a redundancy, Rashi is going to be sensitive to it. Barry, and then I see Rick's hand, and then we'll have Rebecca read that Rashi. Yeah, uh, can someone open that window? It's getting a little stuffy in here. Thanks. Yes, Barry.
2: I mean, we would say it was but it, it, up until now, blood is in
1: the water. But now, blood is over the land. All oh, the land. Yeah. So maybe this goes back to what Dan was, or someone said before, that, that if it's if it's coming through the source of water and then being brought out to irrigation, it's not just going to hit the, the water collections, but the actual land itself. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, anything else on that, Rick?
4: Uh, hi. Uh, first of all, um, that was just Barry, right? It was really kind of muffled. I, I couldn't uh, exactly hear what he was saying. If you're going to paraphrase after, then fine. But um,
1: just... What Barry was saying is that um, the, what we could make that phrase not redundant is up until now, we've spoken about where the blood is going to be, where the water is, and then by extension, it's going to actually reach the entire land because of the irrigation system in
4: Egypt. Okay. Um. That's great. That's great. I wanted to do a trope thing. Okay. Trope so um, on Aharon, we have a Pazer, which is the rarest of the trope that we usually use. Um, we don't have another one until chapter 10, uh, where it's for the sake of telling your son, telling your kids. Um, so and and the last one was um uh back when they were asking why, why are you being so harsh? But anyway, I, I just wanted to say that the, 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 the Pazer Anaharon really emphasis I know we already talked about why it was Aaron, but I just wanted to say that the trope went along with that, uh, uh, emphasizing his importance here. Yes. Okay,
1: great. Um, okay anyone else rosemary um
3: i was thinking uh, at the beginning it said that the water is going to be blood so it's not only Nile. there can be water um coming from the source from well i mean once the water is going to be blood everywhere is blood so yeah uh, if it is if there is water like in the um plantation it will be red everything is red yeah. I mean, even if it comes under the mountain
0: right so, so
3: it's not only Nile. It's, Nile is more dramatic to say a big river, rain. right? But every water, every drop of water is red.
1: So Rashi is going to say something similar and interesting. Barry was focused on the word Eretz in this phrase as if it's coming through the water, but even the non water things are going to be bloodified. Rashi is going to read a little bit more closely the way Rosemary read it. Let's see what he says and see how we respond to it. Uh, Rebecca on Bechol Eretz Mitzrayim. Bechol oh,
0: oh, Eretz Mitzrayim throughout all the land of Egypt. Ha, the Hey, What does that mean? In the bathhouses, and in the baths that were in the houses.
1: Right, so what's Rashi's answer to the question of why this is not a redundancy?
0: Because it applies to different uses of water.
1: Right, and I think he's saying somehow it'll even apply to water that had made it into someone's house before the plague began, right? That's not still drawing from it. That like, that poof, that the, the Nile is going to be bloody. And so obviously all the places where the Nile sends water to in the irrigation, but even in your house in your own personal ancient Egyptian plumbing, even if you're collecting water from a place that already had gotten its water from the original sources, the, it's, gonna, it's not going to, you're not going to escape the bloodiness of the water. Right? So he's focusing on other collections of water that are not referenced or not collected or or, um, or uh, refer, uh, referred to in the other words for water. Okay? Are the
0: later plagues um, <clears throat> introduced with this much detail?
1: Um, some of them are, right? Um, we'll, it'll be interesting as we go through the plagues to do one we can compare the intros Right. So um, yeah, I remember the description of the frogs is, you know, it's pretty, um, I remember because there's a hard versus to lane. It's a lot of individual places that the frogs are going to get to. If you wanted to look ahead just to compare one.
2: Frog no, frog no.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice, nice. Um, just look quickly at verse um, 27. So just 10 verses later. And again, we'll do this slowly later on. But ima ein if you don't, if you refuse to send, hine nochi nogefek I'm going to plague all of your borders with frogs. B'sharat zayor betzvardeim, and the. The, the river will swarm with frogs. And they'll come up. They'll come into your home. And in your bedrooms. And on your bed. And on your servants' houses. And, and everywhere. Even in your ovens. right? So, so um, it's. I don't know if we could do a word-for-word comparison, but there is a descriptive, frightening, foreboding uh, explanation of all the places the frogs are going to end up once the frogs come. Yeah. Okay. Diane.
0: So,
1: um, can Zoomers hear Diane? Are Zoomers here? Can
0: hear... you hear me?
1: You can't. Oh. I try to speak a little. I try to speak a little louder. Okay,
3: this is a question. You can't really hear
0: anyone commenting very much. It's very very
1: low. Hmm. Hmm. Do
3: you want me to come?
1: My microphone. Is
3: that where they're? No, aren't they getting
0: it to the room
1: somehow? I don't remember. Yeah. they can't speak
0: okay testing testing testing
1: yeah it's very low all right we're gonna have to try to so so speak as um
4: okay <clears throat> project a little bit
0: okay yeah. i'm projecting this is a question and that is is call eric mitzray does that count goshen is Goshen not considered part of the
1: time? In terms of where the Israelites are? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? You know. Well,
0: it would seem that Goshen is not part of the time, which is a little odd.
1: And because what you're what you're asking is how would this not impact the Israelites? I
5: mean, theoretically, it didn't, right? Right. Well, it was true with darkness, because there was light in Goshen.
1: Right. So, in some of the plagues, it says explicitly that the Israelites did not uh, suffer from them, and some, it's either implied that they did or implied that they didn't, right? So you could actually read the opposite. You could read the whole Eretz Mitzrayim to include all of its satellite places, including Goshen. As, you, as you'll see, we'll end the plague of blood without any direct reference to whether or not the Israelites experienced it. Um, in our In our kind of <coughs> colloquial retelling of the story, we believe that the Israelites were spared it, but it doesn't say it explicitly in the text.
2: Yeah. I, I'm going to tra- channel uh, Toba. I okay. asked her this. I had the same question last week, and I asked her, "Is Goshen on the Nile?" And she said, "Yes, it's on the Delta." Uh huh. Yes.
1: Um. I see Rick's hand and Barry.
4: Hi. Um. I didn't plan this. I just I just see it. But uh, the trope again. The midpoint, the etnachta, is on this v'yiyu-dam, right? So that you could call it the high point, although the Pazir was a high point. But that's that's a clause, right? And and they will be blood. The next phrase from vihayat to the end, I'd like to suggest maybe it's not talking about water anymore. It's talking about blood, v'haya dam, in the land and uva etzim, the trees, and and Avanim is the stone, so it's like the, the leprosy plague where it gets into the building and the and the house and stuff. So uh, I don't know if anybody ever talked about it in the commentary, but maybe uh, it's not talking about water here, it's talking about the land and the trees and the stones, that it, they'll be affected by the blood.
1: Yes, yeah, just... so we're really we're reading through is that there are really two ways of understanding the second half of this verse, the second Last third of the verse, right? That right. the whole erasim uva avanim refers either to other places where water is stored, which is how Rosh is going to read it, or after we get to the um the yudama, the Ednahta, right? We're understanding that since what blood's in the water, it will then also get to all other places, including places that are not of water, but are are um, places where water has. Has been brought to by 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 the natural use of it, right? And those are two different ways of understanding the verse. And of course, we don't have a um, we don't have a record of what happened aside from this one. So we have to we have to remain shrouded in a uh, machloket about it. I see Barry's hand, and then uh, Rosemary.
2: So uh, going back again to geology, uh, the rivers flow down from source. Uh, this is not a geological natural thing where the source of the Nile turn red. Eventually, everything turn red where the water flows to, but any place where there is water, like in bathtubs, uh, on trees, on stones, uh, this blood is all over the place. Yeah, that's a miracle of the issue.
1: Yeah, yeah. Rosemary? Mary.
3: Um, well, I think the importance of uh, this uh, plague is the most from the other plagues because this is. From the economy part, uh, survivor part, whereas the frog, you can put the astronaut uh, costume and you can save yourself from frog <laughs> for some days, or the locust uh, just eats the grass, the plant, uh, the plantation, but it doesn't bother. I mean, it's scary, but it's not, but this is survivor. If you uh-huh. don't have water one week, It's doomed. And it's not doomed for the week. It's doomed for the year because the crop will die. And when they say on the stones and the trees in the morning, uh, there are many places which they don't have enough water. They have dew. So they collect the dew. And God even made that blood so you can't collect and drink it. Mm -hmm. So if they say trees, not the tree becomes red, but the dew on the tree leaves are becoming red.
1: And we discussed last time, I think, that there's some instinct to read the plagues as constantly growing in a crescendo because clearly the last one is the is the biggest blow but there's also a way of reading the plagues as beginning with a rather comprehensive blow to the society with a dip in the middle not to downplay what it's like if you are over you know overcome by locusts but that it's not necessarily only going um up in in magnitude but it might have begun with the most comprehensive on society and then ended with, a, with something that's parallel to it right particularly since blood right like it begins with blood and ends with bloodshed Now that's a that's a that's an english pun or english association with words and we don't understand that the Makat wrote the plague of the firstborn was bloody right mean, you know certainly the way it's, it's represented in media they just died they weren't slaughtered um but there's blood the night of the ten plagues on the doorpost right so there is a a, a chiastic structure to beginning with the blood and a, a, a bloody plague that could in and of itself be considered the worst thing you could do the society and then it ends with the one that finally lets pharaoh mm-hmm. it changes pharaoh's mind before he changes it again one more time larry and then we'll and then rona and then we'll read the next rashi can we read the next rashi first and then go you know i mean yeah rona do you want what do you want to do
0: no i'm just saying in terms of water just the i'm focusing on the water side of it not the blood side of it that there is a definite theme of water throughout this entire story. I mean, obviously, you can look at the first plague and the last plague, or you can look at the first plague and the last thing that happened before they leave Egypt mm, is the, nice. the flooding of the sea. And it all has to do with control, yeah, water, which is notoriously one of the hard, basically the hardest thing to control for mankind forever, right? I mean, if you've ever built a house or renovated a house. Um,
5: Build a road.
0: Water is the thing that screws everything up, yeah. right? If you if you don't control the water, you don't have a project, yeah. And that's the whole idea of Egypt. And that's what Egypt was so successful because they thought they knew how. Mm. But really, only God can control the water, right? And so, and that's really shown in the beginning. Not the end, but the end of the Egypt story.
1: No, that's wonderful because there are many places you can claim as the end to this narrative. It could be, could be, Exodus night. It could be split across the Red Sea. It could be Mount Sinai, right? So that if you if you put the endpoint as the moment that they're finally free of Pharaoh, you're right. They end by having been saved through water. Once again, he is plagued by water, just as the plagues began with the water being plagued. And I think it's your comment also awakens why it's significant that the word mikveh mikmemehem appears in the verse. Because Mikveh Hamayim refers to God's primordial controlling of the waters, right? The, the one who was able to suck primor- Shamayim into, into collections, right? Only God can do that. We can do facsimiles of it. What the ancient Egyptians did was a pretty impressive facsimile of it. But ultimately, we are we are parroting God's macro version of that. God is always in control, which is one of the Torah's messages. Stevie?
6: Yeah, just pointing out in the difference between the first half of the verse, second half of the verse, that when we say the beginning, time, etc., right? It, the implication is like Aaron would have to take a staff over every single like, you know, either every single body of water or every single type of body of water, right? Right. Aaron is instructed to put a staff over a, the, the Nile and also over the canals and also over something else, right? It's kind of bizarre to then imagine that the outcome of that would be that right right and each like it's like it, it, implicitly by you down right could be like and each one right will become bloody but then say, for then the second half sort of shifts it and say like no blood will be everywhere like you do this once maybe and it's saying and you're right blood will be everywhere hmm. um it does seem to be a a conclusion that,
2: uh, you know, that, that adjusts the
1: meaning of, of the verse. Hmm. Yeah, and I keep thinking about what Joel said before about the the Vihiyudam, bahayadam right? So the Vihiyudam right before Amniyat Nachta, the fulcrum of the verse, seems to go backwards suggest all the things that were mentioned will be, plural, blood, and then the Torah still seems to feel the obligation to say, and in addition to that, Blood will be in all these places as well. So is, it, is what we're learning in the second half of the verse a, a mirroring or an extension of what we learned in the first half of the verse? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we'll, we'll never be able to resolve that. Let, let's read the last Rashi in the verse, then we'll hear um, uh, what Larry has to say. The last two Rashi's in the, the last Rashi. Uba Vavanim. Uba Eitzim Vavanim. Mayim Shevichle Eitz So Rashi, before even translated, is saying, lest you think that what's referring to here is that the wood and the stones themselves, because, you know, the notion that if there's blood in the water, there's blood in the fields, and there's actually going to be blood in your utensils. Lest you think it means that. No, rather, it means that.
0: Water that was in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone.
1: Right, and if you remember the unculus, uh, so Rashi either just happens to agree with Uncleus or is impacted by Uncleus. Unkilis translated etzim and avanim which just means wood or woods and stone and stones to mane a'a u mane avna um, utensils of these things right I don't remember if it's if it's uh, Ten Commandments or or the Prince of Egypt or some other representation there's definitely like a scene where families like have water in a cup or something, and then the plague hits, and the water in the cup that's already there turns into blood, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's a it's it's almost like a, a, a cinematic scene that is averring Rashi's common. Mm-hmm. It's not just that from this point forward, any water that's drawn from the Nile become blood, but the water that's already there, blood. All uh, even in the water that has already been collected in your wooden pot or your stone cup. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um Larry. So, first of all,
5: before I get to this particular Rashi, I want to go back to the beginning because I think we tend to forget. This doesn't happen. This isn't happening. What's happening is Moses is telling Aaron, so he doesn't only tell him to hold his hand over, he tells him what the consequences would be as if Aaron's going to do it. Aaron's got to have in mind all these different things in order for this to actually be happening. And that goes back to what Barry was saying is, no, this isn't that there's going to be some phenomenon at the headwaters that are going to flow down. This is something that's going to happen to all the waters wherever they are. Hmm. We all gone over all the waters wherever they are. The very last two words, uve etzim, um, uve avanim, is reminiscent of Eitz and evan. And Eitz and evan are not only vessels, but they're also... Idols. Mm. so go to Devarim mm. so go to Devarim chapter 4
1: verse 28 let me pull it up because then everyone has a full Tanakh in front of them one second uh what's these verse again Devarim 28
5: what uh and four no chapter 4 verse 28
1: chapter 28 verse
5: 4 no, no. chapter 4 oh. verse 28
1: who's on first all right, let me share the screen. One second, what the is there? Okay, bye-bye to Elohim.
5: Elohim, Adam ace the Evan. And I'm reminded also of twice we 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 have well once in Psalms and then once twice in Psalms we have um 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 sorry just flew out of my mind. Um uh, Right. I'm not sure if Atsabehem um, also comes from AIDS, because it's Atsab, which is idol, but mm. AIDS. So what, what I, one interpretation, which I'm going to alter for kind of suggesting it, but not suggesting the way that I'm suggesting it exactly, is that, and even their idols, even though I don't know if they uh, like, have idols, uh, even their idols will have this blood coming out of them.
1: Yeah. Uh, who, who knows that that was intended, no, but, it's very, <laughs> but it's very evocative because you're right, Eitzvah Evan appears many times in biblical literature as like a kind of a comprehensive merism suggesting all the things that they would worship. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah we have it uh, in, in one of the Psalms of Hallel, right?
5: True. Sure. Well, one Psalm in Hallel, but also in Shabbat morning in the uh, Nishmat. Smart. no, no, it's before the it's uh it's before the great hollow the psalm we say before the great hollow uh-huh. has uh, before we
6: uh, also in Biasma, just a few chapters after that yeah okay, okay.
0: Diane Renee
1: so well,
0: I'm thinking about this literarily. um so blood is a sustainer of life right? Without the blood flow inside of us, which surely was known to people for a long time, we wouldn't have life. And so God is taking this sort of um, sustaining power and turning it into a destructive power. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah. As as and as Rona pointed out, as with the um, the splitting of the Red Sea, right, um, where it's not just taking the a sustaining power and turning it into destructive power, it's turning a birth moment for one into a death moment for everyone else, right? As as we discussed, without getting you know too graphic, the the Israelites emerging from the Red Sea is definitely a birth canal image, right, and coming into life having passed through that channel. Uh, Renee. So I just wanted
0: to mention that Everett Fox agrees with Larry because Everett Fox also says that everywhere in the Bible that has wooden stone, uh, where it occurs as a pair in the singular, singular refers to idols. Hmm.
1: Right. So in our verse in Shemot, it's in the plural. That doesn't mean that it's not hinting at that on some level. Great. Um, okay. I think anything else in that verse before we go to Uh, Is your hand up, Rosemary?
3: Yeah, I'm just thinking that um, um, I learned about the blood in Matzah much later in my life, but uh, I always think it comes from here also, because people with the blood being over the houses.
1: You mean the... You, you, the blood libel you mean that jews would make masa with the blood of yeah. you know that
3: was misunderstanding of ha- having the blood over the, the door right. spot, right and the firstborns dying yeah and then the blood in nile is to give idea to anti-semites to yeah. create something that people would believe
1: yeah we in our family do that very rarely
3: <laughs>
1: the blood of 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 Gentile children. It's it's really it's an infrequent ritual. You know, it's only on special occasions. Okay, gallows humor. Let's go to the next verse. Uh verse twenty. Verse twenty. Oh, so Rashi is going to be quiet for a few verses on twenty and twenty-one. It uh, doesn't mean that we have to be. Uh, Rachel, do you want to read verse twenty? And project, yeah, uh, yeah good.
0: Good. And Moshe ka haram ka'ashir. Siva adanoi aram raam fa'matei ve'a de'ed hama'in. Asher bai ya'or name haro haro a name thank you
1: good you instinctively corrected yourself from Faro to paro because we know the name is paro it actually is Faro here because of what rule in the right. But and why? Where are my grammar nerds? Why is there no dot in the fe?
2: Because
1: <laughs> the yud of the a neighbour before it is one of the four letters of ahoy and fe is a begat kefet letter, and they're in munach katon, which means they're in a conjunctive trap. So the yud takes the dot away from the pay. So it's fa- in a faro, not paro. Okay. Um see if you can translate that or or or, or can- render translation. We'll start there.
0: Mm -hmm. Moses and Aharon did just as the Lord commanded. He lifted up the rod. Let's say that's Aharon.
1: Right, because what was commanded is that Moses should tell Aaron to do it. So if they did what was commanded, they did it all the way through.
0: He lifted up the rod and struck the water in the Nile in the sight of Pharaoh and his fortunes, and all the water in the Nile turned to blood. And what I want to check out is, did it say strike, or did it say hold your arm over, because they're not the same.
1: Yeah. Well, there are several not the same in in this verse, in the previous verse, as Larry pointed out a little bit. We have in verse 19 that the instruction is, the verbs are kach and nete, take and extend. We have in our verse a yach, a smite, which is really the first time I think that I'm 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 noticing this, and this either means something or nothing. That later on, when Moshe is asked to do A with the with a with a staff and does B, he gets punished for it. Here, Aaron is being asked to do A. He seems to do B, and it seems to be okay. Um, and as Larry pointed out before, maybe Stevie also did that. In verse 19, the instruction seems to be that there are several moments where there's going to be a raising of the rod and a striking um, and how time-consuming that must have been to go to every single pond. Mm-hmm. When it actually happens, it seems he does it once and that spreads the plague outward, right? By Yarem, ba he lifted up his, through um, with his staff, by struck the water that was in the river, the Nile, and then everything becomes bloody. Barry and then Larry, Barry Larry.
2: I was going to just address what you said. When they're, 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 they're strikes the strikes the rock, he was just told to speak to it. And here uh, Aaron was told, just raise your arm over and he strikes.
1: Yeah, yes.
0: And he's not punished, the same way Moshe was punished. Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, Larry Rona?
5: I'm going net, net again. Go Let's back go. to verse 14. Okay, That's the instruction that God gives to Moses. Go see Pharaoh down at the edge of the water, right? And talk to him and tell him
1: 15.
5: 15 says to tell him, and 16 says to tell him that, uh, that, that Adonai sent him, right? all that, and then 17 said, and then 17 um, he's telling him what God said, what Adonai said, and then in and then 18, that there, there's the blood and the fish, and then in 19, God's still talking to Moses, and then tell Aaron. Then full stop. Then we get to um, the asu, asu, right? The asu and did thusly who Moses and Aaron? Moses did from verse 14 to verse 18, he did all those things. He we don't see this, but he went down to talk to talk to, uh, to Pharaoh and tell them all those things. And what did Aaron do? Well, Aaron is the only thing that's actually described mm. in this verse. Mm. None of what Moses did is described. Mm. I don't have any comments about the differences and all that. But that's my understanding of how this, Where, where the, someone I'm sure has done a diagram of where all the different instructions and how far back they go and where they stop and mm. punctuated it. Mm. Some, of the, some of the translations are actually punctuated with quotes and an the other isn't you...
1: isn't that going to be your dissertation for your doctorate in Bible, <laughs> Larry? I'll read that. I'll read that for a dollar. Uh, Rona and then Rick. I mean, God doesn't talk directly
0: to uh, God talks to Moshe.
1: Mostly. So,
0: well, in this case. In this case, correct. So Aaron is like interpreting. Whereas Moshe is almost always talked to directly by God, so I mean, I guess he's interpreting too. He's not playing a game of telephone, right? So maybe Aaron is like just has a different standing than God, and that's why he doesn't get punished for doing it slightly wrong. Uh-huh. I don't
1: know, or 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 they, or maybe it was a telephone game. By the time uh, it got from God's mouth to Moshe's mouth, and Moshe's mouth to Aaron's mouth, it changed. Um, this is going to, from some sort of the miniature to the macro, um, I th- I'm sure I've referenced before in this class many times the great uh, Professor David weiss who whose your site was just, first yurt site was just a few days ago. He was really, until last year, the greatest living Talmudist. Um, he taught at the seminary. He left the seminary to teach at Columbia. Yeah. He was one of these people who literally knew the Talmud by heart, the whole, the stories about the pin test when he was 12 or 13 years old in, in Romania, and he would make a couple of kopecks by going to the local yeshiva and they would say he would say like if a pin is piercing Bava what word is it piercing on page 32a and he would know he would know the word right he died about a year ago he was known mostly as a talmudist but he was also a rather from where he came from radical theologian because he came from the yeshiva world he was he grew up in the same town as Eliyuzel. he and Eliyuzel were the best of friends in seget romania he, was, he lived at a time when rabbinic ordination was not a five-year professional degree after your BA, but just passing exams. So he was a 13-year-old, 13-year-old ordained rabbi in Auschwitz. Um, he has two major books in English. His, his most renowned work, which is impenetrable, even to people who know Talmud really well, is Mikorotimus where his method of studying Talmud from a source-critical method, But his primary two books in English were his autobiography, The Book and the Sword, which is an easy read in the sense you can get through it in a couple of hours. It's an overwhelming read to hear his story, but I commend it to all of you, The Book and the Sword. And his book on theology, also rather short, uh, called Revelation Restored, where he tries to, I don't know how to cohere, an academic study of Judaism with an Eastern European Hasidic love of Torah, um, he does not he's not willing to surrender the notion of God doing revelation at Sinai, but he knows too much about the intellectual academic world to know that it's hard to really make sense of all the errors and the mistakes and the whatevers in the text without some kind of understanding of human involvement. so his um his, um, his solution al Re is to say, and this is what connects to what Rona said. There was a pristine revelation from God. But the moment it came from God and was put into human hands, it got instantly muddied and changed and rendered differently because of our uh, fallibilities, not God's. There's an infallible God, and there was an infallible word, but kind of like, this is my analogy, not his, like blood is a certain color in the body, but as soon as it's exposed to air, it's instantly a different color. So as soon as God's word was exposed to humanity, we perverted it unintentionally. And therefore, we have a text which is muddled, but the original revelation was pure, revelation restored. So it could be that God said said A to Moshe. And by the time Moshe said it to Aaron, because we're flawed, imperfect people, we don't remember things. It was already somewhat different. So maybe Aaron wasn't not doing what he was told to do. He was doing like Moshe remembered or transmitted it differently.
5: What's the name of the Christian?
1: Rabbi David Weiss Halivni. His name in Europe was Weiss. But when he moved to, I think he first came to Israel and then to the States, he did not want his the name by which he was known to teach Torah to be Germanic because he hated the Germans. So Weiss is white. So he changed White to Halivni, the white one. You yeah, know, David Weiss Halivni. His other he talks about this in the book of the sword. He would he would do these tricks in the yeshiva where he would say, like, give get give me, like, they would say, What is the hundredth statement of the sage Rava and tractate Sanhedrin? And if you, it, <laughs> and if you can get it right in the next 10 seconds, we'll give you a copic. And he would mm-hmm. can get it right. That's how he would make extra, extra little money for his family mm-hmm. for going to the war. Yes.
2: Now, I want to go back to the discussion we're having on the hitting the stone. And...
1: Good. A little bit louder, Barry. And then, Rick, I see your hand.
2: I want to go back to the discussion we're having hitting the stone, and the hitting the water. Um, Moshe's attitude. It was an attitude different than here in the river, and and, and yet again, Aaron was just doing his approach. Uh, He's had directly gotten this from God. Moshe was angry at the people at the, at that time, and and so uh, in addition to uh, his command to speak to and he, he was expressing his anger and emotion, and for this, he was not allowed to be the leader. Mm-hmm
1: which is different than in this in this in this yeah this, yeah, yeah yeah. just while i'm there i, I just i can't mention if i lived his name without passing along my two favorite stories from him he spoke with a, a gentle sweet thick eastern european accent he spoke new, new english perfectly but he spoke with a thick accent um so when my friend rabbi david wise was visiting jts uh to apply to rabbinical school his name was wise w-i-s-e he would daven, he went especially about davening at the Minyan that Rabbi Halivni was the rabbi of. That's its own story. He was, was Rabbi Halivni's teacher was Professor Louis Finkelstein, who was mm. the chancellor of the seminary in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Professor Finkelstein got had Parkinson's late in his life and a minion of people gathered in his home. Uh, and basically the last decade of his life, there's a group of people who daven every Shabbat morning in his apartment. I would daven there a few times in the early years of college. Then, then Professor Finkelstein died. You had a group of people who had been davening with each other for years, they decided to found a minyan. It's one of the first independent minyanim in in Manhattan called Kihilat Orach Eliezer, K-O-E, the the congregation of the guests of Eliezer. Eliezer was Professor Finkelstein's Hebrew name. And so I would daven most Shabbat mornings um, at at that minyan, which met and still meets to this day in a nursing home in the west side of Manhattan. So David Wise was visiting and he was introduced to Rabbi Halimni, He was this eminent scholar and uh, Rabbi Helene says, uh, Rabbi Weisseli says, what's your name? And David said, my name is David. What's your last name? "That's oh, David Wise. David Wise, that's so funny. That's my name too. <laughs> Such a sweet thing to hear from the world's greatest living Talmudist. And another time we were davening and um, the person leaning, like, clearly noticed something amiss in the text and beckoned Rabbi Halivni over. and. He looked at it and whatever he saw, it was enough for that Torah. That Torah needed to be replaced. So um, they rolled it up it was in the middle of an aliyah. They brought it back to storage and then they were going to get the- another Torah from storage to bring back in. And while that was happening, we were all milling around. And one of my friends uh, who was at a stage in the life where the only thing that's fun to do is to ask your rabbi a question to make it clear that you're very conscientious about things, even if it's obvious. So Lou goes over to Rabbi Lou and says, Rabbi Halivni, was there a mistake in the Torah? Mm-hmm. Rabbi Linus says, a mistake in the Torah? How could there be a mistake in the Torah? Yeah. The Torah's perfect, but it was a mistake in the Sefer Torah. Yeah. <laughs> so we had this like sweet, cute, impish demeanor, and knew all of rabbinic literature by heart. And uh, his York site was this week, so it's nice to, to bring him back to life a bit. Okay, Rick and Renee.
4: I got to follow those stories. You do.
1: (laughs) That's why I did it, just to make you uncomfortable. to Put the
4: pressure on. Success. (laughs) So, um, again, the trope, I didn't plan this, but it adds drama to it.
1: But God God did.
4: Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, the Mapakh Pashta, normally you don't repeat it. It's kind of rare that you have Mapakh Pashta and then you have it again so Mate. so he's he's lifting up right the the rod and mm-hmm. and in that moment everybody's looking at the rod what is he going to do with it and then he hits the water in the second motion um that's number one number two the anay faro and the anay of it reminds me of what we just heard with the grasshoppers with the spies that they weren't really grasshoppers but in their eyes and in the and the enemy's eyes we're like grasshoppers it was all mental in their head so to um i don't i don't know exactly what to do with it but it's like th- there's there's lots of different ways to describe what's going on but to say that it happened in the eyes of pharaoh and in the eyes of the servants um I, I, I just think there's something there. And the the last one, Vayehafhu, reminds me of Purim, where everything is upside down and and uh and uh, not the way it's supposed to be. So and that has a tevir on it just to make it stand out. But um I thought I'd throw that in.
1: Thank so, you, Rick. Thank you. Brene.
0: Um, I just thought it's interesting that the word for hitting is maka that we use in regular Hebrew, and also that. Is becomes the word for the plagues, Makkah, as well. Perfect.
1: Correct. Right, that word Vayakh is truncated uh, when a three-letter root, whose last letter is He, is put into a Vav hayipuch, the He drops out and you get these oddly truncated words, like Vayefk, he cried. The root is Baha, but the He just disappears. So the, the root of Vayakh is either Yud Kavhe or Mem Kavhe, depending on how you look at it. And and it means to smite or to smack. And you're right; it becomes the word by which these this whole topic is known. eser makot, the ten smackings or smitings or plagues. We well, translate as the ten plagues. Plague is not really a great translation of the Hebrew word makah, but we have we have a knowledge of our tradition that exists in English of its own accord, not just as a translation of the Hebrew, just. You know, we live in English, so we have the phrase, the Ten Plagues, even though it's not a great word-for-word translation. Uh, Joel, is your hand up?
2: Yeah. I just want, I want to play
6: devil's advocate. Devil. I want to play defense attorney for Aaron. So okay. Assuming this is Aaron's charging document,
2: and they say, why should he not be charged the same way that Mocha was charged for hitting the rock? I would say that you could read it as, amate. He raised his staff, and God struck the water. Mm. Now it's not the best translation,
1: but yeah. it's reasonable doubt. Yeah, reasonable doubt. Uh, great. I'll I'll, I''ll I'll I'll add that into the panoply of potential translations. Um, all right, let's let's just read verse twenty one. There's no Rashhan anyway, but I'm sure we won't finish uh, talking about it um, uh, today. Uh, Elon, do you want to read verse twenty one? Sure
5: okay
1: and again we're gonna as soon as he translates we're gonna compare what happened to what God predicted would happen okay uh and the fish uh that was in uh the Nile uh died um uh, Vayivash. I don't know what that is. Smell or stink. We had that in God's prediction back in verse 18. And, and the Nile stunk. Uh,
5: and the Egyptians were not able to drink the water from the Nile. Uh,
1: and the blood was uh, all over the land of Egypt. Good. Great. So if you look at that last phrase, and we assume the phrase Vay-hidam is a mirror. Of the second half of two verses ago by a Hayadan Eretz Mitzrayim, that seems to be a comprehensive phrase, right? That like the blood is everywhere. And in our verse 21, it doesn't need to say that it was in the Yor and in the Agam and in the Nahar and in the Evan and in the Eights, as if that phrase mentions all of it, which calls into question why in two verses below, two verses above, it has that phrase, plus it mentions all the individual places, right? Um, that's the first thing I wanted to point out. Uh, I see a couple of hands, Barry, and then Stevie, and then we'll end.
2: Well, we have a, 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 a mixing of, of a sequence. The, the, the water had already turned to blood, but now the polluted, the dying fish polluting the water so they can't drink the water. But the water was already blood.
1: Yeah, right. You're saying you could have put after the end of the previous verse, where there was there was blood, they couldn't drink, and in addition to that, the the fish stank up the water. There
2: is no water left in it. Oh, All
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So when, when when it says that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile, you could say there. Of course, they couldn't drink water because there is no water. Or It's a way of saying all the water that had been in the Nile is now unpotable. Let's pause there. When we get next week, we'll start by going deeper into that verse. And then Rashi pipes up in the next verse.
0: You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts.